Almighty and most merciful Father, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, who is our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Church, I have had a, uh, I've had a rough week. If you think that somebody in a position such as mine not susceptible to sin, to their own sin, to other, to the sin of other people, to things like anger, to things like hurt, to things like bitterness. Uh, I have a have a have a revelation for you. I am. <laughs> There's no difference between me and you, with the exception of the fact that I have a call on my life, and that's it. <clears throat> and that's okay because it's a learning experience for me, and I'm glad that I still have enough, whatever. To be, able, to be able to learn, to be able to learn from hardships, to be able to learn from my own failures, my own sins, my own struggles. Because on the other side of that is always growth. On the other side of that is grace. And on the other side of that is, is mercy, and I know that. But as I've told you all before, growth is always painful. Real growth is always painful. It's not easy. It's not fun. It stinks. It hurts. And it's going to cause a lot of pain. On the other side is grace. And this is something that God has been talking to me about for a while now, for about two or three weeks. And that's what we're going to get into today. But first I want you to take a look at the scripture out of the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 33. And I'm just going to read straight through it without, without a lot of explanation. <coughs> Verses 12 through 19, Exodus 33. Moses said to the Lord, You have been telling me to lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You've said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your way so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. Sleep up there, y'all. <laughs> the Lord replied, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? The Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you've asked, because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. And then Moses said, Now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence, and I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I'll have compassion on whom I will have compassion. And that's the word of God for the people of God. Um, again, I'm not going to give you a whole lot of explanation as far as what's going on in this, in this particular scripture. But I am going to talk about the attitude and some of the theological implications that are, that are behind it. So I encourage you to kind of take a look at that in your bulletin, maybe, maybe keep that open, because there's, there's a couple things that I'm going to point out at some, at, some, at some point or another. You know, by all accounts, this biblical giant, this guy that we know as Moses, he was by far, by all accounts, not what a lot of us would think of if we were asked to give our opinion 
on the qualities of a good spiritual leader. I would say especially in today's American society where pastors are more expected to be CEOs of a company than they are actual pastors of a church. If you don't know what I'm talking about or if you don't believe what I'm talking about, do a little Google search for advertising for pastoral roles in churches. Not that I've been doing that. <laughs> and just take a look how the pastoral role is described in, in a lot of these things. See if it doesn't sound less more of a CEO than it does an actual spiritual leader. Anyway, by all accounts, you know, Moses really wasn't what, what most of us would think of when we think of the qualities of a spiritual leader. First of all, Moses didn't want to do this job in the first place. He wanted no part of it. He didn't want to answer this call of God. From, time to from the time he was first called, he actually says in the Bible, you don't want me, God. I'm not eloquent in my speaking. I'm slow of speech, and I'm slow of tongue. I can't talk to people. Who would listen to me? Y'all know that I am an introvert all day long. I think these exact same things every single week. I'm slow of tongue, God. I can't talk to people. Who in the world would listen to me? I've got the same doubts Moses did. I'm not eloquent. I'm not extroverted. I can't jump around and, and motivate like some of these guys on television. What else is Moses' deal? Today's scripture is not the only place in the Old Testament where we find Moses kind of having this back and forth conversation with God. As a matter of fact, it's a pretty standard uh, for their entire relationship. Moses, throughout their relationships that we read in the Bible, needs a lot of reassurance from God. He needs a lot of cajoling. and He, he needs a lot of persuading from God. He deliberately disobeys God's on, God on several occasions that we are aware of through, through Scripture. And let's not forget, prior to this grand call, he was an outright murderer of another human being. That's Moses. Doesn't exactly sound like something that we would relate to or, or describe when we picture this great spiritual leader in our heads, does it? But nonetheless, he has been considered for thousands of years as a great hero and as a great example for the faith of the faith for Jews and for Christians alike, despite all of his sins, despite all of his shortcomings, despite his somewhat rocky relationship with God, our scripture today says that God knew Moses by name. What does that mean, God knew Moses by name? Essentially what that means is that God recognized that they had a very intimate relationship with one another. He considered that he and Moses were close and had this personal relationship. The scripture also says that Moses had found favor with God. Not only that, that God was pleased with him. That God was pleased with this murderer. That God was pleased with this guy who exhibited not the, not the greatest of faith in the world. Who wanted to argue a little bit, a lot with God about whether or not he's going to answer God's calling and do what God expects him to do the numerous times he disobeys God that we are aware of in scripture. Nonetheless, our scripture says that Moses found favor with God and that God was pleased with him. Why? Why? Because that surely doesn't, uh, that surely doesn't fit the description of someone we would be pleased with, would it? Because we're not God. But God is. Not because of what Moses had done. It's not what because of what Moses had not done. 
It's not because of what he was or who he was or what he wasn't or who he wasn't. It's not because he was good, and it's not because he was bad. It's because God is God, and that's who God is. You know, even in the Old Testament, even all the way going back to Genesis, Exodus, like we looked today, long, long, long before the coming of Christ, we get a glimpse of what God ultimately has in store for humanity. We get a glimpse of the fact that God's favor, God's love, God's mercy, God's forgiveness, God's redemption is not based on our actions. And they're not based on our inactions. They're not based on our sins, and they are not based on our lack of sins, as much as we want them to be, especially in regards to other people. They're not based of our, on our abilities. They're not based on our inabilities. They're not even based on our morals or our ethics. God's extended favor, God's love, God's forgiveness, all of that is given freely. So that's who God is. Way back here, way back here in the book of Exodus, we get a glimpse the gospel of Jesus Christ. So like I mentioned in the earlier, earlier over the last several weeks, God's really, God's really been doing a number on me in, uh, in regard to how I understand the gospel of Christ. Specifically, God's been doing a number on me on how I understand and how I apply the differences between what we call law and grace or what we call law and gospel. Mostly how the gospel of Jesus Christ affects my relationship and how the gospel of Jesus Christ affects your relationship with the law. Now let's just get this out there front and center before I go any further so that we're on, so that we're on the same page. When you guys hear me use that word law, I'm referring basically to all the commandments of the Bible, all the commandments of Scripture, all 600-plus Old Testament, Old Testament commandments, all the commandments of Jesus Christ, all the do's, all the don'ts, all that. That's what I'm referring to when I use the word law. So here's the basic issue that I think that God has been dealing with me personally, and I think that he's, this is going to be a ride, church. This is going to be a ride, and I hope you're ready. Because <clears throat> I think that God wants me to bring it to you also. Because I've messed some things up. I'm here to tell you this morning I've messed some things up in the way that I've delivered them to you. Here's the problem. When people are brought into the church, when people are brought into Christianity, when they're brought into a relationship with Christ, when they receive the gospel of Jesus, we tell them this. We tell them that God loves them. We tell them that God loves them unconditionally, just as they are. We tell them that Christ died for them, and we tell them that all they got to do to be saved is to accept God's free gift, right? Right? Yeah, absolutely. That's good theology. That's good, safe, orthodox Christian doctrine, Christianity 101, if you will. Here's the problem, though. Once they get into the door of the church, we start telling them they have to change. And I emphasize that word, have. We tell them they have to start conforming. We tell them that they have to do better. We tell them that they have to be better. We tell them that they have to do more. 
that they have to try harder. Because after all, isn't that what God wants for us? Church, I'm here to tell you, with this kind of mentality, and I can speak to it through my own life, and I think that's why God is dealing with me so much, so much in this idea, in this practice of grace right now. If I am trying to do all this by myself, to become all this, to try harder, to do more, to be better, to have more appreciation from other people, to get praise or, or whatever, that's exhausting for us. That's exhausting for us. Absolutely exhausting. It's, it's stress-inducing. It's anxiety-inducing. Not to mention the massive potential that it has for some developing some pretty substantial guilt in our conscience, in our spiritual lives. But, Jerry, <laughs> Pastor Jerry, haven't you been telling us for two and a half years now that we're supposed to be Christ's followers? Yeah, that we're supposed to love our neighbors as ourselves. That we're supposed to forgive and even go the extra mile for our enemies. That we're supposed to be peacemakers. All of that Jesus-y stuff. I have, church. I have. And I still believe every bit of that. But I've been going about it the wrong way. I've been going about it the wrong way. And I have to apologize to you. Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. I'll tell you what I'm talking about. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love and pray for your enemies. Rejoice when you're persecuted. Take these in now. If someone forces you to go one mile, go two. And here's my personal favorite command of Jesus. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. All commands of Jesus. Let me ask you this, church. How is that working out for you? It ain't working out so great for me. And I've preached this, and I've taught it, and I've believed it. And I still believe it. Don't get me wrong. I still believe that God ultimately wants us to be and become these things. But I can't do it in and of my own effort. Just like our salvation, just like our justification is a free gift from God and all comes from the works of God, any growth that we have is strictly a gift from God as well. Trying harder is not going to make me any better. The idea that I have to be a better person, that I have to do good, is not going to make me any better. I can't force myself to be better. I can't force myself to be less angry. I can't force myself to love my neighbor when I get no good and well. I don't love my neighbor. I can't force myself not to, not to have resentments, not to have bitterness, as much as I don't want these things in my life. All of these things are gifts of God. All of these things are gifts of God. Plain and simple. You see, church, that is all law. How many of us have been able to keep and practice these undeniable commandments of Christ that I just mentioned a minute ago, over the past week since we last met? How many of us have been able to keep them over the past hour, even? You see, church, this is all law. This is all law. This is all commandments. Jesus said he did not come to abolish the law, but he came to complete the law. He came to fulfill the law, which he does through his work on the cross and through his resurrection, which we're going to talk about later. If we think that Jesus was soft on Old Testament law, assure, I assure you he was not. As a matter of fact, he took the law a step further and he upped the ante of it. Listen to this. 
You think Christ was soft on the law? Jesus said, whoever, men, <laughs> women, Jesus said, whoever looks at a woman in lust has committed adultery. You don't even have to commit the act. You just got to think about it. He also said, you've heard it said that you shall not murder. Anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or a sister will be subject to judgment. You ever mad at anybody? You are. <laughs> See, I ain't got the best language in the world sometimes. Y'all know what I'm getting at. We're all out of luck, folks. We're all out of luck. Because we can't live up to this. So the law, according to Jesus, is not just about the things that we do or the things that we don't do. It's not just about the things that we say. It's about what we think. It's about all those thoughts that run through our heads daily that we would not dare confess to another human being. Our thoughts, our thoughts damn us according to Jesus. Going by the law. Anybody feeling a little uneasy right now? Yeah, me too. Me too. That's good. That's good to feel uneasy. That's good because that is one of the purposes of the law. Church, the law is not a checklist for us to follow as if we could actually do that. The law is meant to accuse us, as Martin Luther said. The law is meant to accuse us. It is meant to show us just how far we are from the holiness and from the perfection of God. It's meant to show us why we have a need for a Savior in the first place. And that's what the book of Galatians is all about also. Church, you have heard me say before, or at least some of you have, that you cannot out the grace of God. One of the basic tenets of our Protestant heritage is that we are saved by grace through faith alone. Period. Period. We're forgiven. We are redeemed. We are children of God. Not because of what we do, not because of what we don't do, because we simply are. Now, I'm sure y'all have got a lot of questions running through your mind right now. Probably thinking about a lot of stuff. Probably got, probably got a lot of things you'd like to tell me, <laughs> maybe. And that's fine. That, that's fine. If it helps, if it helps, so do I. I'm struggling with this stuff just, just as hard. So we got a lot to think to get, a lot to uh, think about together, church. We got a lot to pray about, and, and and there's and there's so much more that I want to talk about with you on this subject because you know, in all sincerity, and and without trying to sound overly dramatic, how we understand grace and law, how we understand gospel and law, is probably the most important aspect of our faith, and in particular, it's probably the most important aspect um, in regard to how it plays out in our relationship with God and other people. You know, it's it's kind of like this. It's kind of like, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't boast. You know, Christ said I boasted nothing but Jesus Christ. And that's kind of that's kind of my idea too. I don't boast in anything that I've done or anything that I've accomplished. I boast in the power of Jesus Christ. Y'all know that I've been sober going on a decade. People ask me, Jerry, what'd you do to get sober? I didn't do that. I didn't do a dang thing. 
I didn't do a dang thing. It's not through self-will. It's through the grace and the mercy and the love and the work of God in my life. Period. Jerry, why are you a little less hateful than you were a decade ago? It ain't because I tried harder not to be hateful, not to be mean, or not to be angry, not to be bitter. All this stuff is going to pop back up in my life, man. It's all going to pop up back in your life. But anything that I've accomplished, whether it's a part of my emotional life, my, my spiritual life, whatever, it's not because of me. It's not because I follow a list of rules or do's and don'ts. That's going to come. That's going to happen. All of us are going to look a little bit different, by the way, in the way that this transforms in our lives. But it's all grace, folks, and it's all through faith. Just as justification, just as salvation comes through faith, what we call in the Methodist Church sanctification also comes through faith. We're not going to work ourselves into Christ-likeness. We're going to trust God to grow us into Christ-likeness and allow Him to do the work. I want to leave you with a couple of things to consider over the next week. You know, given what we talked about today, first of all, what y'all want you guys to do, I just want you to rest in the presence and the grace of God. Just want you to rest in the grace, the love, the presence, and the acceptance of God. If you are feeling overwhelmed by the church, if you feel overwhelmed because you think you're not doing enough for God or you're not doing enough for Bemis, if you're overwhelmed because you think you're not growing enough or you're not growing spiritually fast enough, whatever, I want you to rest. And I want you to know you're okay want you to know you're good and if anything that I have ever preached everything that I have ever taught has ever led you to believe or to think that you had to do more or that you had to do more for God's approval I ask for your forgiveness yes I still believe in following Jesus but I also recognize my gross inability to do it that is solely solely the work of God. We're going to talk about that a lot more soon. Last thing I'm going to leave you with is a quote, and it's not a quote that I came up with because I'm not this smart. But it's a quote from a guy named Brennan Manning. Some of y'all may have heard of him. He had a very popular book in the 90s called The Ragamuffin, the Ragamuffin Gospel. Manning was... Uh, he had a very interesting life. He was actually a, a Franciscan friar, kind of like, like a monk. Uh, in the beginning of his life, he was a Roman Catholic priest. At some point in his life, he decided he wanted to get married, which is a no-no in, in Catholicism. So he left, the, he left the priesthood and got married. The other thing is he was an on-again, off-again alcoholic throughout his entire life. In the 90s or so, he started getting uh, pretty popular uh, through authoring a number of books. The most popular, again, was called, was called The Ragmuffin Gospel. And the way that he made it through life was accepting the grace of God. That's how he made it through life. Manning did not have an easy life whatsoever. He was very, very painfully honest about his failures and his shortcomings. And he got to the point where he understood, and I agree with him, that it's all grace, man. We are what we are, simply through the grace of God. If we think that we've grown spiritually, that we're better than, oh my God, forget about self-righteousness. We're not. 
And that's essentially what Manning's ministry was all about. It was all about the grace of God, understanding the grace of God in our own lives, the grace of God in the lives of other people. And he kind of summed it up. He kind of summed up his entire ministry through this one quote. You know, we tell people all the time, God loves you. God loves you unconditionally. God loves you unconditionally. But a lot of times we want to follow that with But, Miss <laughs> Carla talked about butts last week. I try not to laugh. God loves you unconditionally, but, but, church, that ain't the gospel. That ain't the gospel. Here's the first part of that quote, and I love this. I love this. Pull up that next slide, man. God loves you and God accepts you. That's the gospel. God loves you and God accepts you. As you are. Not as you should be. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the love of God. Why, Jerry? How can you say that? How can you possibly say that because I know people that sin in egregious ways and call themselves Christians because none of us are as we should be and if you think so you're fooling yourself <coughs> no you can't do enough work we can't give out enough hot dogs we can't have enough yard sales to earn the grace of God or to be more accepted God loves you. God accepts you as you are. As you are. Not as you should be. None of us are as we should be. Heavenly Father, this is a uh, this is an awesome thing. This is this is an incredible thing to consider. It's an incredible thing to meditate on, and it's hard. It's hard for us to swallow sometimes. It's hard for us to, 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 to fathom the idea that you could love us that much. It's hard for us to fathom the idea, the simple, simple idea that your work on the cross and your resurrection covers all of this in our lives. Every bit of it. We don't have to do anything to be accepted by you. We already are in Jesus Christ. God, help us to take that in. Help us to, help us to fully embrace that. Give us that faith. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.